Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the official Tennis.com podcast featuring professional coach and community leader, Kamal Murray. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm your host, Kamal Murray, and we have the esteemed pleasure of having a, um, an innovator in our sport, uh, a risk taker, a guy with a lot of experience in the game, um, both from traveling alongside some former professional tennis players, but also looking at what's wrong with the game and trying to see how we make it better for each other. Um, his name is Cameron Lickle. Cameron, thanks for joining us. My pleasure to be here and, and thank you so much for having me and thank you for that awesome introduction. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's always nice to like see somebody that's seen the game from so many different sides and is sort of not jaded by the game. You know, a lot of times we get we get in this this small little tennis bubble, mm-hmm. and we sometimes get lost in it and not looking at how we can improve um, as a as a system, how we can grow the base to the sport, how we can make the experience better for everybody in it, right? Because there's no perfect system, and you're one of the people that, you know, I would say is at least making an attempt to sort of challenge what's going on. Tell me a little bit though about how you got into tennis. I mean, I stumbled upon the game, but you know, I'm just interested to know how you first got introduced to the sport. Yeah, well, and first just to, if I can, just to, to give back the kudos to you too for what you're doing for the game, because been a fan from afar and everything that you're contributing to the sport. I know how hard it is to create and uh, I'm an admirer of what you do. And thank you for all you do for the, for the sport and for taking the time to, to listen to me today. So um, thank you, right brother. back at you. Thank um, you. But, uh, it, you know, I'll, I'll give you a, a quick short story of how I got into the, to the game. But I've, I've been playing since I was a kid. Uh, played four years at the United States Naval Academy. Uh, had to do five years active duty afterwards and decided after the five years I was going to pursue my dream of professional tennis. And played for about a year in uh, the futures, you know, grinding it out in Mexico, living in a Holiday Inn with four dudes. We've all been there. And, um, right. you know, my path, my path in tennis has been, I think, fairly unique because – from that, I ended up being lucky enough. I met a guy named Mats Vlander, and we started a company together called Vlander on Wheels, where we traveled in an RV for the better part of a decade, going to people's backyards to play tennis. And that's kind of what stamped my passport. Wow. Now, how was that? Because I, I also got my introduction to like professional tennis through a legend named Zena Garrison. I worked alongside of her, and she sort of held my hand through. Uh, you know, walking through the players' lounge for the first time and walking past Fed and Nadal and Navratilova and everybody else uh, and just sort of teaching me how to navigate that space. How was that working alongside Matt? Because I've heard some stories. He's a wild boy. So I'm interested to see, you know, uh, what, you, what you can share about Matt, who is, who is a legend in the game uh, and still somebody that is, like, loved. Yeah, no, I mean, it was a privilege. I mean, it was really – you couldn't have really written a better script for me uh, – from coming out of the military and, and doing that with him. Um, he taught me an awful lot, taught me, you know, the professional side uh, of, of the, of the game, 
a love for the game because that guy loves tennis. It's pure. I mean, there was there is no fakeness to what every how everybody says. Man, he really loves it. It is a huge love with it, um, and really like I gotta say, traveling and doing Wow in a lot of ways was better than real life just because when we would go do events, you got the best version of everyone. So you would show up and they're on their best behavior. They're excited to see you. You're on, like, I'm on my best behavior. Not that I'm any different when I get home, but that part of, uh, of, of that was so great. Cause really you got the best version of the world when you were doing what we were doing. And uh, well, tell me, tell us a little bit about wow. Wow stands for, you know, we liner on wheels. Well, yes. what, what was it? Was it like a pop-up clinic? Was it an exhibition? Yeah. You know what? Tell us the kind of concept about that. And then I also, you know, because sports is all about generating revenue and money. Tell us like what the motivation was and how it would be, you know, how it all pencil. Sure, sure. Well, uh, you know, like anybody, I was trying and I'll, I'll kind of give you the conception of, of how it was conceived. Uh, but, you know, as you're grinding it out in Mexico and not being able to pay your tennis bills, uh, you do what you can to survive and to try to be able to afford it. So there was a gentleman in Sun Valley, Idaho, uh, Idaho, who couldn't beat up on the local pros and doubles. He was looking for a ringer. And he asked me if I wanted to come out and, and play with him for a month. And I had initially turned him down because I go, what kind of guy wants me to come out for a month and stay in his house? And my buddy who I was living with was like, dude, just go, right? You're just going to be sitting around here hanging out anyways. So I went on the last day I was there. Matt was on the court next to me hitting. And he said, oh, hey, man, you want to hit sometime? And I said, yes, but I leave tomorrow at 12. He said, well, let's hit at 8 o'clock. I said, okay. So I remember that night I called everybody I knew. Um, you know, I couldn't sleep, had my clothes laid out. Uh, we hit for an hour. I mean, he went and showered, and I was in with the head pro talking about how unbelievable it was. And he said, hey, would you like to come back out here and get me ready for an exhibition against Pete Sampras that I have in a month? And I go, absolutely. So I flew back out. We trained together for a couple of weeks and it was his idea with Michael Pernforce. Uh, if you remember, he was another Swede and they had always had this kind of idea to go around and do fantasy camps because they had flown to Vermont, you know, across the country to meet 10 people and do things for a week. He goes, well, why can't I just do it in Sun Valley or Las Vegas or somewhere? And I said, that's a great idea. So, you know, I, I was in the military. I ran 25 guys. I could run you around the country. So put a business plan together. Um, you know, literally went up and down the coast of California asking people if they wanted to bring in Matt's and I and Michael. And really, everybody said no for probably the first year. It was a hard sell because for one reason or another, the idea of the fantasy experience in tennis wasn't that catchy. And I didn't know how we were going to be able to do it. But, but it was, you know, a program. We would put together, you know, eight people in a session, four people on a court. Matt's would take one court, I would take another court, and we would run these kind of really fast-paced uh, drills where we would be hitting every other ball with the players, and then we would have lunch or dinner with everyone. And I didn't think it was going to go anywhere, and we had a big break. We had a Wall Street Journal article that was written that kind of blew the company up, and, you know, 10 years later, we visited, you know, over 500 clubs and had over 6,000 participants. So let me tell you, let me help, help me understand this. You had trouble getting eight people mm -hmm. to take you up on this offer up and down in California, which is a state that just loves tennis. Eight people, that's all you needed. Well, eight, yeah. And well, because we would do three sessions in a day, but at the time I would have taken one session. And, right. and to Matt's credit, 
he would show up even when we had two people signed up. And because we wanted to create something where it didn't matter whether you were Bill Gates or Joe Schmuckatelli, the price point was the same. Because too often, right, people find like, oh, somebody has a backyard. Let's make sure that we charge them a lot of money. Whereas the fans of the game really like it's like make it something that's affordable for everybody. So we did these eight people sessions, made it really affordable. I mean, it was, I think it was 150 bucks at the start per person uh, to show up. And we were dealing more with volume um, and, and hopefully a lot of days versus trying to like love you and leave you kind of mentality. And, you know, to Matt's credit, he grinded it out with me. And um, a lot of people were making fun of us at the time, I think, behind the scenes of like, what are they doing? Living in a Winnebago uh, together and going around to these clubs. But, you know, we loved it. It was fun. It was so fun. And to like really think about what you said, $150 for one of the greatest players ever. I mean, Matt Vilander is not, you know, he's not a nobody. He's somebody that, you know, obviously was was there when Pete and Agassi started to sort of take control of the game. But, you know, this guy's a legend doing clinics for 150 bucks where like now LeBron James or Chris Paul wouldn't walk in the door for less than 25 grand. You know what I mean? So that that speaks to, you know, I always try to articulate the difference between tennis and basketball just to show people how far we have to go as a sport, you know, in terms of prize money, in terms of endorsements, in terms of TV exposure, social media following, um, quality of coaches or number of coaches in the sport that are able to like make a living, right? And, you know, to make it something that you want to do. You know, I feel a lot of people, a lot of coaches in the sport who a lot of coaches that want to coach, but can't afford to coach, right? Because the, the, the revenue isn't there, you know, it's, you're grinding it out and you might not be able to support your lifestyle, which is probably really modest. So that's, and that's, that's really interesting to know that Matsui Lana was walking in anybody's club for 150 bucks a person. Agreed. And, and, and to your point, I think it's the, the, why it was so cheap was because of every of the predecessors as well that had, had come before where people weren't valuing, you know, their, their time when they would go into clubs and without, you know, name and names of fantasy experiences, but some people would put on these fantasy camps and charge $20 a person, have a hundred people show up and then, you know, hit a ball for five seconds with somebody, sign a picture or, or sign an autograph, take a picture. And that wasn't like giving back in any way, right? Like that. that and, and so the precedent had been set for, you know, low value uh, for a dollar to where we really couldn't charge what, a world number one, you know, fantasy experience should be at that time. But as we kind of, as we grew, that 150 went up, um, you know, over because supply and demand obviously too. Right. But um, yeah, it was, it was a struggle at the start. Now, how long did that, um, the wow last? We, I mean, we still are doing wow, but um, you know, with COVID and everything, um, we, we haven't been on the road in probably two years now, I would say. Um, but we did it for the better part of a decade. It was about seven and a half years of traveling together, hundred days a year. And what's the price tag on while now, you know, we know it started at 150. What is it now? I mean, it's still, I think reasonable it's 375 a person for, right. uh, for an hour, uh, for an hour. Um, and we do three sessions, uh, in a day, but you okay. know, so we, we, we ended up being able to, to raise the rates, um, but still very affordable, I think for an experience with a world number one. Now, bless you. 
Did that Winnebago, thank you, brother. Did that Winnebago get upgraded to a Sprinter van? Yeah, no, it got upgraded to a 2012 Thor Daybreak, 37 foot <laughs> with two pop-outs and bunk beds. Okay, I was about to say, because you know, it's, it's a lot of alternatives now to the Winnebago. Well, but you know, the I, whole idea, we earned the right to upgrade because it was, it was Matt's and I and a photographer and we were in his little Winnebago, his, his you know, 27 footer, and it was tight. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. So... Talk about people in tennis and like sort of paying your dues. And I don't know how, you know, and you don't have to name the player, but, um, you know, a lot of coaches uh, in this sport, you know, we like, you have to go all in, right? In order to really connect with a player. I mean, at various points in a relationship, you got to be the father, the best friend, the shoulder to cry on, the dude that's kicking them in the ass, the guys that's, uh, the person that's advising them on financially or business given relationship advice, you sort of have to do it all mm-hmm. to have a chance at any success with a player. Yes. You know, just the player coach, superficial, meet you at practice, I see you tomorrow kind of thing. That really doesn't work at this level, right? But when you go in that that deep, you also take a lot of risk, right? Because you become over-invested, you become family, which we all know we treat family worse than we treat um, strangers, yes. right? So, uh Tell me about sort of your initiation into like coaching on like a global scale without, you know, obviously mentioning. Sure. Sure. Well, I, you know, I, my, again, I, I did the wow and, and about seven years into it, uh, I ended up being able to dip my toe into the coaching community. And I had found a player that was, uh, had some talent and I wanted to take my world number one knowledge and apply it to something applicable uh, that I could see grow, you know, and with no offense against, you know, 50 and 60 year old tennis players, but they're not necessarily getting better. Um, right. You know, but so I found this kid that had some talent and uh, I called around to everybody I knew of what kind of deals do you do with a, with a player and, you know, talking to agents and coaches and it ranged from, you know, from coaches of giving your time away for free to, you know, you sponsor the player and then you get three X on your money. It was a, a, a wide range of things. And anyways, I signed on to be a sponsor coach and agent of one player in particular. And because I don't want to make it about my story, but my, what ended up happening was not, um, was not a pleasurable experience for me. And as I found through what other coaches had experienced, when players can't necessarily afford coaching, and the coach gives away their, their time or sweat equity for free. There's something that happens where coaches be, begin to be a little bit possessive of the player. And that's because you have so much invested of time into them where you haven't earned. And if we talk about money as being the, the denominator here, you haven't earned enough uh, to be able to be like, it's okay if they leave. So the coaches start holding players like possessions. And I would argue it, whether that's at three months or six months, something you know changes because the relationship constantly evolves and that coach can actually no longer properly be a coach to that player 
for fear of upsetting that player and that player firing that coach because that player needs somebody to get him off the couch and to say like, run up that hill, do that extra set. But if that player starts to be like, ah, you're annoying. This is terrible. Well, the coach starts to, because if you've now put in six months of free time and they start to become a yes man or a yes woman, then that's bad for the player. And the product that's out there is, is, is subpar. So what ends up what in that hypothetical, what needs to happen is that a, a coach needs to actually be able to have something to be able to step back and not be so emotionally invested and not be so, 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 uh, wrapped up into one individual, which I, I get it. The prize at the end of the day is being at a major grand slam and sitting in a box, but not being able to afford your car payment, but sitting in the box is not making it to me. Right. And everybody has a different opinion of making it and that's fine, but there needs to be something that's out there where the coach can give their time and know that they're going to be compensated in the future, regardless of what happens with that relationship for the appropriate amount as well. Because some coaches are exploitative and they want 20% in perpetuity, which to me is also a form of indentured servitude. Well, then let me ask you this then. So what were you thinking then when you went um, and became the, the, the coach, the agent, the investor in a kid? Because, you know, I've, I've coached players at the highest level in the game. Um, and you also want to make sure you are appropriately investing, right? So just from a a coach to a coach, that situation was scared the hell out of me of being that dependent. So did it work out? And what, what were you, what, what in your mind made you think that that situation would work out? And then did it work out? And where does it stand? Great question. Well, so again, because this was my first dipping of my toe into the coaching community and the status right. quo amongst the coaches is pretty much the same. Because when this happened to me and I started to ask coaches for advice to a man and a woman, they all said, I can't believe that happened, but isn't that par for the course? And the fact that that is, is the mantra amongst all my proverbial colleagues didn't stand very well for me because it says, well, wait, this is like the wild, wild west. You have to be the right coach at the right time, at the right moment to be able to get any notoriety. And then you have to have the wherewithal to be able to, to leverage that into creating a business behind it. And you go, well, that, that, that doesn't make sense because I value tennis. I value expertise. Like I, 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 anybody that has, like you have devoted your life to tennis. And, and as a, you're an expert in your field. And again, I value that the whole community needs to value that. And if you look at any other industry, you know, a doctor or attorney, they have no problem charging you $500 an hour while they're sitting on the pot thinking about your case. So why is it that if it was you and me and, and we're two guys that have devoted their life and there's a player there and we would end up going, well, I'm the best. I've done this, this, and this, I'll do it for a hundred an hour. And then you come in and then you'd be like, I'll do it for 50 an hour. And then we got somebody behind us that might even have better records than us or better resumes and be like, I'll do it for free. And then suddenly now you can't compete. Like nobody can make a living in, in, in our industry. And it becomes this cascading effect of, of, uh, of, of not a good way to do business. Now, so why, why do you, what do you think it is? Because I, I totally understand what you're saying. Like I, I know that there's a, there's a group of people right, or a type of person that wanted to become a professional tennis player so bad 
that would coach a player for free. That's a pro, you know, just to travel the world, get the credential, be in like the environment, right? Mm -hmm. And having been in that environment and been in other environments, like, um, you know, I've been to almost all, all of NBA All-Star games and I've got tons of, uh, you know, lots of best friends that are, you know, playing the NBA. Tennis is a different environment. It's not quite like what people expect, nor would I say it's something worth going bankrupt for, right? Or starving for, you know what I mean? So why do you think that so many people are willing to give it away for free virtually in exchange for the credential, right? To sit there on TV and in the box to watch your play have a first round loss at Wimby. Well, a great question again, too. And again, this is my opinion, but first we, we all accept the reality with which we're presented. So we are born into our industry. And uh, this, again, I use the word status quo. Um, and I mean, again, this might be a controversial thought that I, I have here and God bless our predecessors that came before us, but the Nick Boletaries of the world may have done actually more harm than good for our coaching community by setting the standard that you need to give away your time for free. Now I quantify that by understanding and knowing that Nick Boletari funded Agassi and Courier and almost went broke doing it. But they set the precedent that this is how you do it is you, you, you let people come in for free. Couple that with, again, this is in my opinion, but I was at the US Open a few years ago and a buddy who I hadn't seen in a couple of years was out with David Goffin hitting. And he's a hitting partner at the US Open. And I started texting all the boys and I said, look, he's, this is fantastic. He's navigated the waters and he comes off and give him a big hug. And I'm like, what are you doing? He says, oh, well, I'm a hitting partner. I go, oh, that's great. Like, what does that mean? He goes, yeah, I get a badge. And I go, what does that mean? And he says, yeah, I, I don't get paid and I'm on call for eight hours a day. And I, anybody that wants to hit with me. And I had not known about this. And I go, are you, are you kidding? And I said, even the used, the guy that polishes the used car on a car lot gets paid even if the car doesn't sell. So how is it that you're coming in here and you have to know the guy that happens to run this event to get this coveted position of giving your time away for free? You are like the world number, over 35 number one doubles player in the world. How, how is this possible? And I understand, okay, it's a privilege to, to hit with these guys, but I think when you make the transition from trying to be as good of a tennis player as you can be, like you're no longer a professional. There needs to be an understanding and it needs to start from the top, like Federer and Novak. If you hit with them and you're a coach, that there is an automatic $150 an hour that they just say, yes, I pay this. I don't know whether they do that or not. But I, if you want to draw a comparison, if you're a school teacher, would it be an honor or a privilege to teach Bill Gates's son? And would you do that for free? And the answer is no, I, nobody would do that. Well, let me, let me challenge you there. Let me, let me say this. Please. So if I'm a guy fresh out of college and cause I, I, the story you just told is the story of almost every hitting partner at every, not even just grand slam, but even other events, right. You know, smaller events, 500, 250, 125, where, you know, you, you get a badge, you get free food. You get to hit with the players. You're not supposed to ask for a picture, but you get a picture. And then you go back to the city where you are working at a club 
And now you are sort of bumped to the top of the pecking order as club pro. So could you, what if I was to argue that there is value in doing that for free if you get the photo, if you're able to monetize that back where you come from at the local level? Do you, do you then think it's valuable? Of course, right? There's value in anything that you do when, you, when you're perfecting your craft and your resume. But the problem is, is that it's so, there's such a supply of it, right? Like if, if you and I, we know, but we could probably know 500 people that claim to be Serena Williams's coach. But we also know the five people that were her coach, right? So in, in, the, in the world of tennis, yeah, like, I mean, for those that aren't necessarily at the club that understand, but really in the end, that's surface deep, right? Like because you spent 10 minutes or maybe an hour with somebody, even if you get bumped up, if you can't sustain that level of a coach, people are going to see right through you, right? So like, yeah, okay, there's value in it. But I, I, I also say, and I get it, if you're coming out of college and uh, you're looking to try to get a job and what you need to do. But if you're trying to be, still be a professional tennis player, I'm okay with doing that for free, right? Like if you're trying to play, if you're still playing any type of tournament within say a year, fine, you, you do it for free because you're trying to get, you get better. To, you get to get, behind, to get behind Novak's ball or Fed's ball and see what that feels like. There's value there if you're still playing. 100%. But if, yeah. if you're not playing anymore, I don't think that, I, th I think, again, it's the players acknowledging what, uh, 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 a tennis credibility and tennis talent of polishing their talents to earn money because you know you're not trying to be a better tennis player anymore I'm not trying to win tennis matches right we're not trying to win tennis matches but if we're trying to win tennis matches it's a different if it's a different whole ball a ball game yeah you know what's funny is um I never really wanted to play pro tennis you know that was never you know, I, I was lucky just to be able to play. You know, I happened to stumble upon the game. So I think that, you know, my my eye to the game is less, you know, in my, in my neighborhood, they use the word thirsty, right? I'm less thirsty to be sort of in that arena to, to do it for free and to sort of, you know, give away your time to your own detriment, and not be able to feed your family. Uh, but I do get how some people grew up aspiring to be that, you know, and, you know, look, Ryan Harrison to some people is LeBron James. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, Hey, shit, you know, if I'm within five feet of John Isner, Ryan Harrison, I'm like, feel like I'm at the NBA all-star game, you know? So in some way I get that, but I do understand what you're saying. It's just like, you know, the whole industry players included have become sort of devalued. You know, when you look at the number of the amount of prize money the players get compared to how much the slams make, right? I think it's like 12%. Yeah. total revenue You're right so i do i do get that so back to your situation so how did you make it out of your situation yeah well so you know, in terms of you know were you able to sustain yourself how because i don't know that i could do that i don't know that i could put my family in jeopardy feed my kids by being all that to that player yes. and then a that player not making it right because the player didn't make it did they no they did not right so the player not making it and then not getting paid on the back end because they didn't make it Right. Right. I mean, it was a, well, the, the big gamble was I was going to try to convert him into making it. And again, you know, semifinals at a grand slam junior, um, 
not making it, but it was, uh, uh, it was out of nowhere. And it, it was, you know, here we go. Like this is on the road to doing something fantastic. And right. unfortunately the next day was, was one of the greatest days of my, my coaching career was followed by the worst day of my coaching career where I was asked to come up with some more money and, uh, no, calling the ITF and the ATP, they don't get involved in civil matters. And now, what do you mean, come up with some more money? Like, hey, we're broke. We need to pay some bills back home. Or, hey, I made it to the semis of a slam, and now you got to pay me to coach me. That was that was it. And that semis was, of a junior and, slam too, and not like yeah. a real slam, right? And and I, was, I, I, yeah, and it was it was for more money, more money than what we and and it was. I had already had a very sizable investment into it. And again, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not trying to make it about my story, but my, right. my solution to the problem was that I had to hold that player accountable. And in the, in the, in the world of tennis, though, you only he- of, the, of the stories that you only hear of accountability are the ones where the people are making money, right? You have uh, Naomi Osaka, uh, Zverev, Struff, uh, Georgie, right? Like, I mean, you could name them, but, and the, and the problem with all those is that the, the, the situation becomes a he said, she said, because the coach on one hand is a little bit butthurt because they got fired and their livelihood is gone. But on the other hand, the coach feels like they've devoted so much of their life to this that they deserve the payoff with the home run. And right. again, I, I, without talking about other people, people's cases, but in the, in the Naomi Osaka case with Jean Christophe, that's public knowledge. And, you know, you can, you can see the copy of the contract, but, they signed a contract with Naomi that said, I want 20% for life. There was no definition of how much training am I going to give you? And so she won the Australian open and the, and the uh, U S open back to back and he sues her. And whether that's for trying to get his own notoriety or to try to just make a dollar, but I think it got thrown out of court, but I think everybody could acknowledge that if John Christophe had given her $50,000 worth of training and she had agreed to $50,000 worth of training, he should be compensated for 50,000, but not 500,000. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, I mean, 30% or 20% for life. That's, whew, that's heavy. That's, that's heavy. Right. Can't um, have that. And he would have made, I mean, look, he, he guessed right in that situation. Right. Cause she definitely made it. Um, so, but the reason why I bring that up is, you know, we've, we've heard all these stories with, you know, sort of players uh, who didn't have, you know, the resources to sort of make it and received help along the way. Yes. Um, and then didn't sort of reward the person that helped them. So that's why I think your story is like really interesting because I mean, I hear about it once a week, you know, how yes. a coach sort of goes in deep, over invest, gets screwed, does it for free, uh, hoping that the player has a heart or some morals, you know, and appreciates the sacrifice and the effort and then doesn't, you know what I mean? So Yes. Um, you know, that's why I think like it's interesting to sort of hear how that happens and why, because you read these cases and you're like, well, why would he do that? You know what I mean? Well, well, why would he do that without having the paperwork tight? Right. Or if the player, if he took a gamble and the player gambled on him and they make it, why not just throw him a bone given they make so much money? So I think it's interesting to sort of hear this live in a podcast about the logic from your side on why you did it. And so did the player, and we say, you know, so look, the player makes a semis of a slam. They call you next day, basically ask you, just like, you know, pay us to coach us. Yes. And you obviously are all tapped out at that point. And then they obviously go get help from somewhere else. What happens yes. next 
uh, yes. to that player. And then what happened to you? So what, what, what happened next is he actually went to another academy, paid that academy with my money, forced me to call up that academy. And it's a very well-known coach as well. And I'll spare him uh, saying his name. But, you know, I said, look, like, this is what's happening. I have a signed contract with this kid. What, uh, I, I, please refund him my money. We'll figure out a way where he could come and train at the appropriate time. And after taking that all in, the kid said that he had no contract, that we were finished. And, uh, and so this coach said, I'm going to keep the money because he had already prepaid. And I said, listen. Now, did the, now did, so you did have a contract and was it signed by the kid or the, or the parent? Great question. Yeah, the contract was signed by the kid. He was 18 when we signed the contract. So it okay. was because so, an 18 because a minor can't like a, if a minor signs a contract, it's not it's no good anyway. Correct. And in Naomi's case, that was signed by her father and Naomi. My case, he was over 18 uh, and signed. And, you know, it, it was it was very clear. And so okay. I, I even forwarded this coach our contract. And that coach basically said, sorry, I'm keeping the money and I'm not I, I, I'm not going to do anything about it. So I sent the coach an open letter from our attorney. And he didn't like that very much. The kid came to the States, uh, played in a tournament and, and, and listed his father as official coach. And that's when I had to serve him papers. And per our contract, we went to mediation. He kicked the can down the road, didn't show up to mediation. So per our contract, we went to arbitration, kicked the can down the road there. And right before he was actually set to be deposed, uh, decided to declare bankruptcy which in the United States, if you declare bankruptcy, you can stay all legal proceedings. And so that whole proceeding, I had to hire a bankruptcy attorney. We went to his notice of creditors. Um, there was a few uh, things that he said that were in total question. And um, basically we had our final day in court a couple of months ago, and we're still waiting for the court to decide whether they're going to throw the bankruptcy out or not, or discharge the bankruptcy. Because if they, if they discharge the bankruptcy, then basically we get to go back and and get a judgment against the kid. But, um, you know, the whole process was very emotional and, and really it hurt me. It scarred me. It was, it was a really tough thing to, to go through three years in the process. It was, uh, financially burdensome. Um, but what I realized through the process though, too, is I heard all the stories is from the big wigs, even the, the biggest guys in the world, a la Patrick Maritagli, when somebody runs rogue, they don't hold them accountable because they don't want to be the big bad wolf that is suing a player, right? Like they might, you know, Patrick, he, you know, sponsors eight to 10 players. And if the player runs rogue, they don't hold them accountable. And I told him, I didn't, I, I don't like that. Like you're setting a bad precedent. And for the lower level guys that are running academies who invest so much into the player, if that player runs rogue, they don't sue the player or hold them accountable because they will never work in the sport ever again. Because all the coaches, you know, that are kind of borderline, borderline blood sucking would be like, don't go to that coach. He sues players. It sets a bad precedent, right? So they just right. keep getting the shaft. And then the lowest end guys in the, in the, the ones that have given all their time and, and somebody ends up coming in and offering them money. They're screaming to the high heavens, but nobody wants to listen because they're sitting there twiddling their thumbs, talking about how they once worked with Coco Golf. So like, it's this whole bad precedent that's being set where the whole system, in my opinion, needs to be reset. And I created something to solve my problem. 
right? And it's just the start of creating a solution where, again, I believe that the allocation of resources in our sport is, is it's, it's too divided. In, and what I mean by that is a player can't afford to pay a coach to travel full-time unless they're top 50. That's obviously everybody always talks about it. It's the common thing on tennis channel, right? But let's make it so coaches don't have to be so invested into the player and hold them like they're a piece of property, right? Let's go ahead. Well, let me, let me ask you this, because if you think about every great champion, right? A lot of them are where they are because of someone sort of believing in them, taking a risk, right? Venus, Serena, they also had a little court situation. You know, Osaka, um, you know, everybody has sort of had somebody to invest in them. Yes. So don't we need that to keep this ecosystem going? Like, don't we need some guys with an astute, intimate knowledge of the game and how to sort of help a player make it down at the lower level, giving this stuff away to sort of keep this ecosystem going? Or is there a better way? Well, again, a great question too. Again, you know, people, if you want to give away free lessons and give away your time, I'm not telling you not to do that, right? Like you can give away your free time all you want, but all you need to do is to be burned one time to realize that you don't really want to do that again. And then no doubt you end up making the same mistake again and maybe another time until finally you just put your hands up and go, I, either I'm getting a job at a country club or I'm getting out of the tennis world. I've created a system, I think now, where if you, it's called GTP, Global Tennis Professionals. But now if you give away your time, you can be invested into the player for their career, regardless if the relationship ends. Because now, is that is that like the whole Naomi Osaka situation where the guy comes back for thirty percent, or is it something more reasonable? No, way more reasonable. Hundred, like much more reasonable, where it, it keeps track of how much work each coach has done with each player. So first, if the player wants to give the coach the credit, because we have an accountability ledger now, like where you can look up the past clients that you've worked with, because again, people show up with that picture to the club, and that serves as a resume. That's not a resume. Right. Like the resume should be logged where somebody says, yes, like Kamau actually worked with Sloan. Right. Everybody knows that. So that's OK. But you might have spent six months with somebody else that I've never heard of. Right. You know, it's funny. I always was joking. So last summer I had the privilege of coaching world team tennis and we had like, you know, Bethany, Rajiv Ram, Jeannie Bouchard, Brandon Nakashima, Sloan, all of them studs. Right. And so I always yes. joke with them. I was like, Rajiv. The next serve is coming here, right? Then when yes. it comes to, he looks at me, he's like, good call. I say, now I'm going to put you on my Wikipedia page as having coached you, right? Just sort of just joking about, you know, now that I've spent th two or three weeks with you for World Team Tennis, then, you know, now I'm going to uh, <laughs> throw you on my resume as a joke. But you're right. You know, a lot of people will actually go to a WTA event, you know, be a rent -a hitter for the week and then say, oh, I'm, I was a hidden partner to player X, Y, and Z, you know? Right. And they really were there employed by the tournament to be a rent hitter. Right. A hundred percent, hundred percent. So, yeah. so, so the players like even Bethany Maddock, I heard her when she was commentating where um, Cliff asked her, said, how do you know what coach is good? And her answer was, well, you just been around so much and you start to talk and you just kind of know, well, a, how does somebody that's just starting off figure that out? 
B, how does a parent who's looking for good coaching figure that out? And okay, that's good for Bethany, but like now we've created a system where Bethany can actually look up people's resumes and not have to rely on um, you know, knowledge behind the scenes, which, hey, that's worth its weight in gold, no doubt, right? But um, it's, it, we, we have an accountability ledger, which A, you can look up and now you can go get references. Because if you look up and you see that Kamau actually worked with, you know, Brandon, if you wanted to give you the credit, right? Um, <laughs> but then he could call you up or message Brandon, Brandon and say, hey, what was he like? Did he show up on time? Was he professional? Did he know what he was talking about? So there's an online platform you create where people can sort of log information, you mine it, right? And, and sort of keep it under lock and key and verify, right, with both sides. We, yeah, we do background checks on everybody. And then not only that, though, we've created a uniform way for everybody to do business if you want to use it, right? That's the, the big catch here because we're not an agency. It's a service. And most of these, the problem with agencies, right, is agencies say, hey, you got to do it my way or, or the highway, right? And they're all battling to try to be the best. I don't care whether you're signed with Octagon, Team 8, IMG, and if you're Anybody in the tennis world, you can enroll and be certified in this because we even opened it up for agents because I didn't want to step on any agent's toes, but it's a uniform way to do business. There are contracts that are minimum one hour, maximum three months. And I understand players don't want to sign contracts, but because they're non-exclusive, it allows first players the uh, flexibility to get out of relationships with coaches if they choose to, which is the merry-go-round that exists anyways. And if that happens in the worst case scenario, the coach knows that they're going to be paid because the payment is based on 15% of earnings. We follow the player's career for services provided only. And we hold the player accountable so the coach doesn't have to. Well, let me stop. Let me stop you right there. So am I, so in your, in this system, because 15% and I've coached, you know, three professional tennis players. So 15% seems like a lot. So is the coach getting paid per hour? And then you're saying, hey, this coach also gets 15% of earnings? Because no, no. that so, would be oh, Yeah, steep. great question. No, no, great question. So no, again, the whole idea, because this is a platform that is allowing a player and a coach to literally meet in the middle. Got and it. if a player brings this to a coach, the coach has been suspect. And if a coach brings this to, to the player, the player's suspect. And what happens is, is it's still a free market. You can still negotiate what you want. So let's say your rate uh, is, you know, 2,500 bucks for the week. Okay. I don't, I just arbitrary number. And the player who doesn't have any money, I want to keep the money in the player's pocket up front. And what happens too, is that players, they don't pay for the proper coaching to get ready for the tournaments. They end up traveling around playing the tournaments and they're not ready and they just keep getting deeper in debt. So everybody says that the problem is that I can't afford traveling to do the tennis, but if you were ready and prepared to play, you could actually win these tournaments and not go into the debt if you had the proper coaching, which is well, the root just, of the problem. Let, let, let me poke one hole, or maybe it's not a hole, maybe I just am not clear. So if I'm a, if I'm a coach and the player is gonna, I'm gonna defer, let's say 2,500 bucks a week. Yes. Right? That means that me as the coach, has to be able to eat that time, right? So I've got to be in a stable financial position or a second generation rich kid to even play in this space where I can allow a player to defer payment 
until they make it, right? But I still got my bills and everything back home. So then it still seems like the coach is potentially losing if he's not a second generation rich kid, right? So like and the way my mind is turning right now is, you know, I'm one of two black coaches on, on the pro tour, right? And if we want to see more black coaches, very few of them can take the arrangement you just described where they can stay afloat deferring 2,500 bucks a week. You know what I mean? Agree. And, and so here's, here's my point to that and my, my, my rebuttal, uh, or if I can. Is yeah, that, for sure. Because each coach is different, right? And, and every coach is in a different place in life. And to be able, like, I get it. GTP is to be used when you want to use it, right? Like if it doesn't suit your, your, your livelihood for the moment, well, then don't use it. But if I, if I can flip the script on that, if you're going to go out and do it for pennies on the dollars anyways, what you could do is take that pennies on the dollar, which is maybe $800 versus the $2,500 that you would normally charge and defer $1,400, Got it. So it's not a, it's not a hard line. It's more of a, you're, you're just providing a negotiating platform with some minimums. Cause I was, that's, that, that was sort of my confusion. Is it like a, you agree to defer payment no matter what kind of thing, but now it sounds like it's sort of a, a meeting table or negotiating table for players. And yes. Because now and then, you give a, you give a player an ability to say yes to your rate while simultaneously allowing a coach to say that this is my value while still negotiating. Because really, like, you still as a coach have to make a fiscally responsible decision of whether you can go out on the road for whatever the player is going to pay you. Mm -hmm. So what this also gives you as an opportunity is like, let's say you're back home. And again, look, like doing some charity work and giving some free time is great. But a coach that wants to fill an extra spot, like let's say you have somebody that is sitting there, wants to train as a futures player and wants to come in. Well, maybe you say, do deferred compensation, 20 bucks a day. I don't even care how much it is, but at least it's $20 where the player feels like they're invested. Because if you give enough stuff away for free, it starts to lack a value and they, they start to not respect it. So now there's money that's going to come in for the coach, which is the equivalent of an annuity. And now you're building up money for the future for work that you did yesterday. And if that player ends up earning and like, you know, let's say they go win a few futures and they make six grand. Well, what would that be? $900 would go back towards paying off. If hopefully you've given $900 worth of work, it would go to $900. But let's say you'd only given $500 worth of work. Well, then you only get paid $500. It's not like 15% across the board. It's for only the work that coaches have put in. And uh, now if that player was to leave you and go to another coach, you're not upset. You're actually rooting for him to succeed. So let me ask you this thing from a GTP standpoint, because I, you know, I first saw the, I started seeing the hats and stuff. I saw it on Lauren Davis, LD, her coach, a couple of doubles players. And I was kind of like, well, you know, what's that, right? It was in Lexington last year. I saw a couple of players sort of, you know, rocking the gear. And I was like, what's that, right? And so is your, is your motivation for creating this simply because, um, you know, you got screwed like a lot of coaches, right? Uh, and by the way, you know, in the, in, in the tournament hotel, a lot of coaches sit in the bar in China, jet lag, you know, having drinks together and telling this very same story, right? So is that your motivation for doing this? Or how do you make money in creating this negotiating table for the player and the coach to meet? Yeah, great question. So first, yeah, I, I, I'm not one to kind of sing sad songs, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, 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 
I had a problem. I found, I, I found a solution for my problem. And basically I'm sticking a flag in the sand because really I love the sport too much. Like I, and I, I wish I could turn off the love for the sport because really in the end you could, we all could be doing much, much other things uh, and not having to deal with the, the nonsense sometimes that comes with this. But um, I, I, I don't want to have happen to me happen to anybody else because really in the end, our sport loses when good coaches go to country clubs and don't stay in the game because they're going to make more money at the country club, right? We or they need go into f- corporate America because there's more money at Goldman Sachs. hundred percent. Yes, exactly. So, you know, like how do we keep people to progress the game and to keep the good guys in? Uh, second, uh, yeah, as far as, you know, making, may, having the, how the, how the platform makes money, um, it will eventually be a, it's a service company where we're going to charge eventually a hundred dollars a year membership fee. But right now, if you, if you want to enroll, we can work out a little thing with, with your podcast and you can have some users. <laughs> where, I, I, I was going to ask, you know, you talked about certifying coaches. I was like, I think I'm certified. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, <laughs> how does one get certified based on where I've been and what I've seen? I was like, you know, shit, I'm certified. Well, we do, we do a background check just to make sure you are who you say you are. Cause it's like a KYC, know your client. Uh, and to make sure that, you know, you meet kind of bare minimum standards of, of being a good person. Um, after that, we certify you and then you're in the system and then you have access to the, to the platform to use any of the contracts. Because if you, if you create your profile page, everybody can uh, start the contract directly from their profile page. So if you like the way that we do business, conceivably you might never ever have to read another contract again for your life. It, it is definitely an interesting concept. Uh, how many players and coaches right now use this? Yeah, I mean, so we soft launched last March. We have about uh, just over 100 people that are enrolled currently. We got about 55, and, okay. 55, 60 athletes that are enrolled, professional athletes, uh, 15 parents, uh, you know, 20 plus coaches or something like that. Um, so it's a, it's a process. It's, it's an education. Well, what's interesting is that this system to me benefits the coaches more than the players and you've got fewer coaches than players. You think? Right? To have 55 players and 20 coaches, you know, is sort of the reverse of what I would thought. I think, I, I mean, I, again, I don't, I, and, and I, cause I, 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 I fear to say that it favors one person more than another because really in the end, the player, I, I want to keep money in the player's pockets because really the, the, at the end of the day, if you can't, if you're having financial pressures at home and you can't focus on winning tennis matches, that affects you, right? Yeah. But if you need the coaching in order to get better, well, now you can get the coaching that you need because if players really want to be better tennis players, right? Like uh, the tennis world has this problem where tennis players get to a point of inflection and they're afraid to take the next step. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is Kamal Murray on the Tennis.com podcast, and we are with uh, a tennis innovator, Cameron Lickle, talking about GTP, 
and his new concept to be a, a bridge between players and coaches and sort of help everybody, keep everybody honest per se. So you were talking about a player that um, reaches that inflection point or maybe even that plateau and how that affects their willingness or need to be in this system and can they defer payment can they pay right now go ahead finish your thought yeah well i mean it, it you know i i just i see it throughout the community and, and correct me here if i if, if i'm off base but they get to a point where they're making some money and if they just invest a little more into themselves or into their training they can do this but yet they get so complacent or, or happy with being here which is okay right but that's not what happens with Novak and Rafa, right? You heard Novak say it the other day, Rafa and, and Roger push me to be better. And so the players that get here don't really want to be the best in the world when they're at that inflection point and don't take that next step. It's like anything with a, a business. If you don't invest in your business or you nickel and dime your own career, you're never going to make a dollar. So what GTP can help these players do where suddenly they've started to have some success and want to spend the money on buying a house or uh, you know, buying a car or whatever it is that they want to do, invest in the, in the stock market. Now you can go and get, you can invest in the stock market and invest in yourself simultaneously, basically put a coach on layaway, get good and go win another tournament. And now you're paying what you can afford moving forward. And so it's not like going to take that money that you now, this newfound money out of your pocket now you're just going to keep getting better. And, you know, if you can come up with, if, if you want to do another contract with a coach and pay him outright or, and, and use another contract, we're okay with it. We don't say well, that you have me, to only you use this. GTP. Let me ask you this. Cause we, you, you, you said something that sort of hit me and you said that the player is, you know, doesn't invest in himself, right. Or might be afraid to invest in himself. You know, my perception on it is, you know, a lot of tennis players sometimes are, are afraid to go all in and invest everything to try to limit their disappointment. If I only go half speed and I only give half effort, right, and I don't kill myself, I'm less disappointed if I don't get the result I want. Because the truth of the matter is you could do everything right and still lose a tennis match, yes. right? A lot of players have hopped on the court with Rafa, Novak, Fed, and felt like they played their best match. They did everything right and still lost. So how much of people's unwillingness to invest is their lack of belief that the investment, and this is your coach's hat now, right? That this, that their investment will pay off, right? Great, great point. I, and I, I, I couldn't, I, you'd know better than I would. Um, from, from your experience, cause that, uh, you know, I, I can't, I couldn't, I couldn't qualify that. But what I could say is that with the GTP contracts that alleviates that fear now, because now if they aren't able to earn enough to pay off those coaches, they're not going to have to pay those coaches. So they can go all in with all reward and no risk again, as I say, and, and we can take that fear away from those players because I'm still allowing coaches to take that opportunistic uh, risk of like, I'm going to give my time to this player. But that coach knows that if they're doing, if they're actually doing right by that player and bringing out the best in that player, because honestly, just because Tony Nadal is the best coach for Rafa, 
doesn't mean that he's the best coach for whoever else he coaches next, right? I don't. I mean, I don't know whether he's the best coach for FAA. Well, well, let me ask you this: You talk about that player not having risk. Um, do you think that some people need that sort of financial pressure to make them do the right thing and take that extra step and give 100% effort and kill themselves to win the match? You know, because I watch a lot of tennis right now. I commented, I watch a lot of matches and you can see people just, eh, you know, they get to four all on Serena and they're like, yeah, that's good enough, right? I put on a good show. Or they get to the end and they don't really fight for it. Yes. Right. They just sort of like let it go. And you can tell that they're indifferent to the result. Yes. Do you think that sometimes that financial pressure is what they need? Right. To sort of wake them up and be like, bro, you're not going to be out here if you don't like get serious about this because you're going to lose money every week. Not me. Sure. Right. So so there's like this balancing act between give it relieving some financial pressure so they can perform and are not crippled by the financial pressure but applying enough pressure where they gotta kind of give right 100 percent and feel it well if, if if the player is one of those players that likes to skate uphill we have that opportunity with engagement contracts where because the coach could say you know what i want to put some pressure on this person because the engagement contracts if the player isn't able to earn enough upon their retirement two years post their retirement, they begin the same payment plan that amateurs do, parents, which is a five-year payment plan. So they will still, we can evoke that gun to the head mentality, so to speak, with, yes, I'm going to have to pay this back. I better earn right now, or I'm going to be in trouble down the road. So if for those that want that, like that's there for them to put that pressure on them. Well, let me stop you right there. This is the Tennis.com podcast. I'm your host, Kamal Murray, and we are here with Cameron Licker. We'll be right back. And welcome back. This is the Tennis.com podcast. I am your host, Kamal Murray, and we are finishing up with Cameron Licker, uh, tennis innovator, founder of GTP, which is a, a platform and a bridge, um, you know, built to try to, you know, help players and coaches sort of engage in a more fair and sort of honest fashion. Um, so, you know, for me, what you are talking about to me requires a lot of skill on the coaching side, right? So balancing how much pressure this player needs versus how much, uh, sort of runway this player might need. And I can say now I've coached on tour, what, seven, eight years, but when I was first starting, I don't know if I was that cerebral to sort of make that distinction to formulate this contract. Do you have sort of a, a brain trust or a board of individuals who's experienced and can look at, look at a player, look at their results, watch them play, and then sort of advise the coach that might be novice to this, like you were when you got into it, right? And say, eh, you, you know you what, Cameron, that might not be the best plan for this player given what I saw. And I've seen that look and that was a look of indifference or I've seen that look and that was a look of somebody that was will die to win this tennis match. Do you have people that you lean on to even try to help give some advice? Well, you, you wanna be on that board? Because <laughs> I'd I love to have a guy like you uh, part of that, giving some advice if, if you like to talk of this jib here. But um, no, I mean, it, it, again, I'm, 
I'm kind of trying to solve one, I, I, I'm solving one problem at the start, you know, which is again, in, in its most simple, uh, in its most, sim in, in the simplest form, it's just how do you make it that a coach and a player, when a player can't afford to pay a coach and a coach can't afford to not be paid, how do you get them to be able to meet in the middle where it's fair for both sides? Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And that's like really in the end, like we could, as we grow this and, you know, if it starts to resonate, because if it becomes secondhand where it's, oh, you're GTP certified, because let's say you travel to, you know, Switzerland and there's an academy that's GTP certified there. And because you can find GTP athletes, coaches by a, a search in our system where, because you can constantly update where you are. And you're, let's say you're traveling and you're trying to look for a coach and you go, oh, this guy is GTP certified. He takes deferred payment. So you message him and you say, hey, I'd like to come in for an hour and have a hit. What's your rate? He goes, 80 bucks. And you say, okay, great. You sign a contract real quick. You come in for $80. Now you've earned the right to actually be there because you're doing proper business. It's not like you have to dance around eggshells. And because again, in the coach world, sometimes coaches say, well, you know how you're going to pay me back? You're going to teach a lesson for me. Or you're going to, um, and sometimes they say, and, and unfortunately in the, in, the, in the women world, we're empowering women to empower themselves because the girls that are given really terrible situations where coaches are like, hey, I'll teach you for free, but you're going to go out on a date with me or whatever else that happens. No, really. But that's the whole other podcast. But yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Now women can go in and say, look, we're keeping this professional. Like I will pay you $50 in the future. And we're about to actually launch. We have a, we've been sitting on it for a while, but in a whole empowering women campaign with this to allow them to understand how you can use this to empower yourself. Because really like looking at contracts is a nightmare. I might've read a thousand contracts while I worked with Matt's. And everyone are you a lawyer or, a, no. or nobody I, in your family? No, but I had I had three different sets of attorneys that helped me create GTP. We have a Bible yeah. that's called the operating agreement that's no doubt it's it's long. It's 35 pages. And it right. spells out exactly how we do business. So if anybody ever has any questions, it's an association. And you know, we 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 have we have a, we have a team behind us of of uh of attorneys to make sure and I, I that everybody meets in the middle on this. So it was funny, my dad's a, a, a judge, an appellate court judge now, but he was a lawyer and he always said, contracts are not for when things go good, they're for when things go bad. And one of the things that I think is interesting about this sport is every week there's one winner out of 128 or 64 or 32 draw in the 250s. Yes. So let's say in a grand slam, for 127 people, it went bad. Yes. Right. And so, you know, at that point, I, I could see the need, given how often it goes bad. I mean, look, you know, uh, I think in 2020, the first nine weeks or 13 weeks of uh, the year, there were 13 different winners on the women's side. Yes. And so that just shows how every week is going bad for a lot of people.
right? Uh, which contributes to the musical chairs and probably lack of accountability. So I, I, uh, I, I applaud you. Um, I do think that, you know, given how reactionary we are in this sport to results, which a lot of times are just out of your control. Like if somebody comes out and is just serving you off the court, then what do you do, right? Um, or if you get food poisoned night before the match, you know, what do you do? Or if you get bed bugs night before a match, all of these have happened to me, right? Right, yes. if you get bed bugs, then what do you do? You know what I mean? And it's not really to your fault, but something just went bad, right? And we see those few players where they're able to string together two weeks at a grand slam and something goes good, you know what I mean? But that's like, hopefully not once in a lifetime, but you know, two or three or four times in a lifetime, right? For, for some players and uh, the need to have something in place when things go bad with the understanding that they're gonna go bad on the pro tour, they're gonna go bad more times than not, right? You're probably not gonna win every week unless you're Rafa or Djokovic. Well, now we're seeing even Djokovic is the only one that's winning every week, right? Um, yes. But the, the need for this, I think is there. Obviously it's no perfect system for all our listeners, you know what I mean? But it is definitely a step in the right direction. And uh, you know, I wanna applaud you for making an attempt because in, 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 our, in our business, right? We talk about good old boys network. Right. This is this is the ultimate. And I think because uh, you got the ITF, the ATP and the WTA and all the systems as we see operate independently, it's hard to sort of make change. And yes. so a lot of people who've been in this game for a long time just sort of stop trying. Right. And, uh, you know, I applaud you for trying. Thank you. And I uh, wanted to, you know, number one, thank you for coming on. And two, wish you luck, brother. No, oh, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been uh... Great pleasure chatting with you and getting to know you here. And uh, thanks for being interested in, in what it is that I've created here. All right. Well, this is the Tennis.com podcast. That was our host, Cameron Lickle, uh, founder of GTP and sort of tennis innovator. Uh, and we want to thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next week.